Episode 105, dated Saturday the 16th of May 2009, Video Games as Art. You're listening to Digital Cowboys. News, reviews, discussions and uncensored opinions on the world of video games. You're a game company. That's why you make Mario. So if they carry on making a new Mario game, a new Zelda game, the stuff that we've come to rely on, that's all well and good. But the one thing they forgot to show in this conference was anything for that demographic. Move to the next section, you shoot all the guys there, you move to the next section. What other what, shooter doesn't do this? I'm, but I'm, it's what they do with the AI to make those shooting sections interesting. I mean, yeah. One of the achievements is play it for more than 20 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we do an imitation of a Ponzi Brit, do oh, we yeah. sound as bad? Yes. yes. <laughs> I am actually sitting here drinking tea as yeah. we're doing this podcast. Is there a trend in the industry you wish you could do away with? Activision. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Tony Atkins. Welcome to the Digital Our names are these, and we're talking about these. And we're very happy to have back with us on the show one of our very favorite guests, YouTube gaming lecturer Daniel Floyd. Daniel, how have hey. you been? <laughs> I've been pretty good. How are you? It is awesome to have you back on the show, mate. I'm 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 excellent now. How Pleasure to be here. Cool. Tony, you okay? I finally recovered from the the dreaded flu after about well three weeks now. So hopefully, Thank I'm Christ. sensible. Yeah. That is yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah, you have been so ill. He had the plague. Dan was last on for episode 101, which has received our highest amount of downloads for an individual episode, possibly because of you, Dan. Possibly because the subject is sex in video games. Luckily, it's also one of our best. I urge everyone who's listening right now to check it out, episode 101. This week, we're talking about video games as art. When might they be considered by critics to be art? Have some of them achieved this already? And what has changed to make this an accepted fact? It's definitely a compelling subject, but Tony, could you please keep a close eye on the proceedings to prevent this episode disappearing up its own pretentious backside? I'm not too sure we can, but okay. <laughs> we have, we must at least try because this thing has got to be tackled and it's got to be done this, by people who are down to earth and are not going to go off tangent. Surely is the worst subject in the world ever to be called pretentious gaming. Oh yeah, um, totally. Yeah, I think I can already imagine Paul is reaching for his iPod, going, "What the <laughs> fuck? This is one I can miss." But it's not seriously. This is going to be a good episode. I can feel it because we've got Dan here. He will save it. Let's set us straight. <laughs> <laughs> Meantime, here is the news with your host, Tony Atkins. News. Right, first up for you, we have Atari pulls out of VE3. Atari... What? Huh? Uh, Atari lo- well, no, is no longer publishing Ghostbusters in the UK. Um, it's, now a, it's now published by Sony. And um, Atari now not publishing any games in continental Europe at all. They're pulling out and letting someone else uh, do all that stuff. So that's an interesting week from Atari, the company that looked like they were getting back onto their feet. And yeah, wasn't it, wasn't it Phil Harrison who basically was sort of pulling them back out of the the, the, the pit of this, they were in this black yeah, hole. They yeah, were about they, to die. They were about to die. And you know, this they, must they, be part of his plan. He's like, yeah. like, screw Europe. We can't afford it. And it's just, you know, from nowhere, suddenly Atari seems to be, the rumour is that they just, they don't have enough money to continue their, their releasing as a distributor in the UK, or in Europe, okay, easy to say UK, but you know, in general Europe. So they pass on all distribution rights, apart from Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters to um, Nanko Bandai, by the looks of it. Um, so I mean, let's, let's jump onto this. So we look like, you know, obviously they were going to be gone, Atari, they came back strength and um, had a, a few big games up the sleeve, one of them, uh, was Ghostbusters. Mm. Very, very excited, looking forward to this. Um, 
And this is the first sign of Atari doing something weird this week when they announced that um, Sony were now publishing Ghostbusters and not Atari, but only in Europe. So, uh huh. <laughs> and it was a PlayStation 3 exclusive and PlayStation and PlayStation Portable exclusive um, for a timed period in Europe, but only Europe, not in America. Uh, the 360 version, all the other, the Wii versions, all coming out at the same time in America, but in uh, in the UK and Europe, nope. Now, I'm Giant just... Bomb said that uh, it's quite possible the uh, American version could be region free, like Guitar Hero Metallica. So it's you know, for you for example, yeah. just get hold of Ghostbusters legitimately that way. Um, for me, I would have been renting it anyway because uh, I, I think this is going to be like a straight playthrough, like with Wanted. Um, and it just means I'm doing it on the PlayStation 3 instead of the 360, and I'm sacrificing gamer points. But it, so that's it, shit. But no, but it's interesting to see what, why has Sony grabbed onto this title being the one that they want to make exclusive to their company for a time period. I mean, it's it's all very last minute anyway. It's not like it was something where Bioshock, say, we knew it was a, a exclusive for a you know, period of time, and then eight months later it came out on the PS3. You know, nobody was surprised at it. It just seems all of a sudden, oh, yep, uh, right, we, we don't have enough money to publish stuff. Uh, Sony's come in, taken the rights, and now somehow made it exclusive. And, it's you know, gone I'm, I'm, from Activision saying, actually, we can't be bothered to do this one. It's not annualizable. It's not, it's not, not worth anything really to us. So get, get rid of it. To it's Sony exactly. going, oh, no, no, we want it. We want it totally. We, we want it bad. We're going to pay for it and, and just it's, make it on our platform. But again, it's, as has been said, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, we've got it on the PS3. It's that they haven't got it on the Xbox 360. Cause exactly. I'm assuming in, in England, the Xbox has got a pretty decent market, so. Well, yeah. I know it has, so yeah. Okay, right. Um, not only that, I mean, it also delays the Wii, Wii version, which is a completely different product altogether. It's a completely yeah. different game, uh, based on the sto- same storyline, but it's a completely different game. But the fact that they're also not turning up at E3 it d- does not show strength to me. It's 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 kind of like they're backing out of the race entirely, and you know. It yeah. shows that it's a company that doesn't have enough money to have a big booth at E3, or the sees foresees it is a waste of money to do so. Mm. Um, I think they're still going to be there, present, you know, in the back rooms making deals, but they're not going to be. They're on the show floor, you know, showing their their wares walls to everybody there. So, really, really odd stuff from Atari. You know, they pulled out from Europe, so that's obviously a financial mm. constraint for them. Um, Ghostbusters is, I, I guess, a strong move from Sony, but I don't know if it's the right. Well, there is the tie-up with them since it is to do with uh, the fact that they own Sony Pictures, which owns Columbia, which owns yeah, Ghostbusters. It so it sort of ties in the Blu-ray. Blu-ray so does. it's like Blue, you know, Ghostbusters only for Blu-ray and Ghostbusters only for PS3. And for, for a short time, the, as in the most important few weeks, they can go, look, it's, it's ours, ha, ha, ha. And, and they can get a bit of, you know, drumming up for the PS3. Frankly, I'm not so bothered about it. I don't mind playing it just on the PS3. I actually hope that it gets a bit more interest in the PS3. I want the PS3 to sell. But it seems like a stupid and underhanded move and, and, and really quite spiteful for Sony to pull this stuff. So, uh, whatever. Um, yeah, next story. Okay. And <laughs> uh, let's finish up with some good news. Uh, this is from Ados Life President Ian Livingstone has squealed that uh, now that they've just been bought by Square Enix, there are some new Ados pr- uh, classic products coming uh, to a sequel near you. So you got uh, oh yeah, drum roll, Kane and Lynch two coming in September. Why? Seriously, <laughs> why? I wrote an article on this, a very short one, but basically just I'm baffled as to why. Yeah, but yes, it made a mi- it sold a million copies, but it, it got terrible reviews. And unless they're going to make a good game, I don't think they, they're going to get those sales again because everyone who bought it's not going to go. Oh man, I really like that mediocre, you know, disappointing game. I want to buy the sequel. Hey, 
that you say that. Remember, we were in Blockbuster that day, and someone went, "I want a really bad shooter game." Oh god, holding, yes. They were holding Kane and Lynch in their hand. I said, "Nothing better than that, mate. Put <laughs> yourself out." I want to say a big hello to the guy behind the counter in that Blockbusters. I forgot to mention him when I was buying Outrun. He was uh, very chatty and he said he'd listen to our podcast. So hello, mate. I think his name was James. Anyway, um, another game bound for an incredibly surprising sequel, Tomb Raider. Oh, thank God. I didn't think there'd be another Tomb Raider. Christ. Um, Again, as I said in the article, she really needs an update. I am so sick of Lara Croft, frankly. I mean, she is the figurehead for the way females are portrayed in gaming. We need to see her as a woman and not just tits with a gun attached. And finally, more Hitman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, So excited about that. (laughs) Seriously, when I just gets it right, they really do, and I want to see. I mean, these guys are currently making—is it Little Ninjas or something? The uh, yeah. guys, yeah. Uh, so as soon as they're off with that, just get onto a decent Agent Forty Seven. Uh, you know, for for the current gen, with loads of different things going on in the levels that you can just you know be carefully observe and then keep you know restarting, going right. I'm going to see that, da, 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 and then just carefully orchestrate those brilliant little kills. Was Hitman Two the one where you talked about when you were on last, Daniel? Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Well, okay. It's been, what, three three years, I guess, since? A long time. That one was basically made for the PS2 in mind. They just up-resed it for for this generation, so we've not had a current-gen Hitman, so I am excited as hell about that. Right, any more news? Our friend here has a Oh, yes. Yes, Dan. (laughs) Tell me a piece of good news. Right, okay. So uh, a few days ago, Nintendo, uh, one of their PR people, uh, said something in an interview uh, I think her name was uh, Denise Keigler, Kegler, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Uh-huh. Uh, the quote, I will give you that hardcore gamers have an insatiable appetite for everything Nintendo. And we love that. We love it. And when we get to a point where core gamers say, okay, Nintendo, enough, we don't need any more games from you guys, none of us wants to be put, put in that position, right? We don't want your appetite to ever be satisfied, because when we satisfy you, it's time for us to go, all right, let's go home now. And none of us wants to go home, so there's this sort of fun relationship i think that's happening between nintendo and the hardcore gamer which we enjoy and hope that the core gamer enjoys as well okay i wasn't aware that nintendo was a fucking pole dancer <laughs> so they're basically just jiggling their ass in front of us and going yes what you want this is what you want don't you fucking touch me uh so yeah great so we, we are to want mario we are to want zelda we are never to be given mario or zelda is that what they're saying or no. is that they're saying they will meet it out over the course of years they're never actually going to they don't really care so much about satisfying us as keeping us hungry yeah, right okay exactly look at the wii from uh day one they never they could have uh, fulfilled supply and they could have built another factory to make supply <laughs> fulfilled and they could they have made more money yeah because you can make more money by making people wait and thinking they really 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 want something oh you know what as i have said before nintendo have one more christmas in them and then the year, next christmas after this one they're going to suffer slightly less sales and it's the beginning of the end because they're going to have to start pulling like a gold-plated rabbit out of a hat made of vaginas to actually make us interested <laughs> in what they've got I, right, I first think of all Either we are insatiable or we are in danger of being satisfied, for one. Second, this, she doesn't, this, she, this doesn't really describe the situation. I mean, we gamers have plenty of companies that we wish would make their games faster. We yep. wish Valve would make games faster, but yep. we love Valve and we are willing to wait because they keep making their games. Yep. And we were kind of had the same relationship with Nintendo too until recently. And I guess, I guess we wouldn't be demanding so many games from Nintendo. I mean, they did come out the game, they did come out of the gate strong with the Wii. They, like, released one of each of their hit franchises and 
just kind of within two years, and that was good. But because no third parties are really making anything worth playing, now we kind of have to rely on Nintendo to keep bringing more to us faster. And because they're not announcing anything, it's just, ugh. Sounds like the GameCube all over again. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I'm also, I object to the term hardcore gamer as well. What are they saying, honestly? Are they saying basically the ones who are whining, they're the hardcore, and we we want to satisfy you? Okay, right. What about the midcore? What about... You know, me and... T- I don't actually like the term hardcore. I've met hardcore gamers. They're mostly assholes. No offense to any of our listeners. But uh, we met a hell of a lot when we were uh, doing that... Uh, we, well, put Tony, we did the uh, Game Hounds play date. And th- we had some fun. But we met a hell of a lot of ass bags. Seriously. I think we can talk about what we played at the end. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that in what we'll be playing. But uh, yeah, uh, most hardcore gamers have got a thousand points on their gamer score. Because they only play one game. Okay, will computer games ever be art? So I'm going to start this one off by saying I know very little about art. I could name a handful of artists and I'm not even sure what I know what Donatello has done. Isn't an exercise in proving how much we know about art? It's an acknowledgement that art is one of the most important things that humanity has done with itself over the years. People have been able to express themselves in painting, sculpture, music, performance, literature, poetry, and more recently film and video. But since video games are such a new and relatively unexplored medium, they've never really been put on the table for consideration by critics. We're here tonight to discuss A, how art is defined in this case. B, whether some games are already art, and C, what it's going to take to get non-gamers to accept them as an art form. And as we said, we'll try to stay bolted down as a subject that courts pretension more than any other. What I'm going to do is I'm basically just going to make a statement, ask a question, throw it out there, and we can chew the shit out of it. So, firstly, let's define art. Anybody want to take a shot at this? Don't all jump to the podium at once. <laughs> I think that's what makes this subject so difficult for everybody is that everyone kind of has their own go-to yeah. definition of art, and then, and uh, yeah, that's. See, I've got the dictionary definition here, but I'm going to ignore that for a second and see what I can say to define art. Right, um, top of my head here, the art is something that a creator makes with the intention of making something that is going to evoke an emotion and is not necessarily purely for commercial purposes. Does that make any sense? I think that's the the definition of it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, well, I think I've kind of already hit upon the reason that a lot of people dismiss games because they they are made with seemingly purely with commercial purposes in mind. Dictionary definition is the quality, production, expression, or realm according to aesthetic principles of what is beautiful, appealing, or of more than ordinary significance, or the making of objects, images, music, etc. that are beautiful or that express feelings. I think that's kind of an old school way of describing art because there's been a hell of a lot of art especially in the last like 20 30 years which is really not beautiful at all it is in fact really quite scary and horrible and weird and, and provocative and 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 you've got this macabre stuff out there i mean you could you could describe dali as beautiful but it's more fucked up than it is beautiful right? i also think the problem as well that the art the art industry itself has no idea really how to define these boundaries either because of course you have the Mona Lisa on one hand you know most people will say yeah classic example of art brings out an emotion you know just looking at that picture is she smiling is she you know frowning um but then you have the there's something like the Tate Modern where you walk in there and there's a singular chair in the middle of a huge room and that 
for them is class as art. You know, that's meant to bring out some sort of emotion, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, <laughs> even that you can say, well, there's there's two extremities of you know, of one yeah. simple. I've got to admit, they're walking around the Tate Modern most recently. Uh, I, I've been there twice in my life. When I was a kid, I thought, well, I don't really understand this, but I'm a kid, so whatever. Uh, but when I was an adult, I walked around it. It actually made me angry because I was looking at stuff and thinking, right, I don't see the artistic merit in this. I, I know not, I'm a Philistine. I am a savage. I know nothing about art, and it's making me angry because I can't see that this big square of red means anything. It's provoking a reaction, and that's exactly what art is. Yes. It just made me angry that I felt stupid. Daniel? No, no, that's pretty much how modern art has felt to me as well. I've, <laughs> I've tried understanding it. I've, I've been through contemporary art classes, and I, and there are some artists out there that I do appreciate and like and enjoy, but they, it does feel like the definition of art has become much more complicated since just as art has evolved into its current form. Hmm. And which is, again, what makes a debate like this so difficult, because, I mean, I don't think very many people would debate that video games are art kind of in the commercial sense, like a like a Pixar movie or or just kind of a top 40 pop hit on the radio. They would say, yeah, that is art, but it's not it's not high art. It's not uh, pretentious, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. I know what you mean by high art. There is there's this. Certainly, a degree of well, that's that's like that's art, but not like this art. This is yeah. far, you know. It seems so subjective that you, is, that you 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 bring so much of yourself into what defines art, and, and so much of of uh, the opinion of people who, who who really really know their stuff when it comes to art. That it, it's it's just sort of it's built up this sort of cult of of what constitutes art. I don't know. Okay, okay, but look, we're drifting off the ground here, guys. <laughs> no, but in, in that fact, then, I mean, if, let's get away from art as in, you know, a, a painting of something. Yeah, because this and is more, something we know nothing about, yeah. Exactly. And more on to the fact is, okay, many people, you know, Robert e- e- Ebert himself classes films as an art form, and that is something that's, that's surely closer to uh, video games. Right. Roger Ebert, I've, I'm checking out what he's been saying. He's he very famously stated that, uh, let's see what the actual words are, hang on. This is the uh, famous movie critic. There is a structural reason for that. Video games by their nature require player choices, which is the opposite of a strategy of serious film literature, which requires authorial control. His whole argument is that basically uh, a video game by its very nature takes the control out of the author's hands and puts it in the hands of whoever is playing the game, the subject. Let's look at some games which could be considered art and see how ultimately, as far as I'm concerned, this list of things I've got in front of me will remain artistic no matter how you play them, because there is something inherent in the story and something inherent in the creation and how it's presented that remains constant no matter what you do you can't make I mean playing Vice City for example you could jump into the water over and over again and choose never to actually get off the beach but you can't escape for the fact that you are standing on a beach in the 80s throwing yourself constantly into the water it's still you're still it's it's kind of like wandering over to the mona lisa and staring at one speck in the bottom right hand corner it's still art it's just that you're being a fuckwit about it so right have you guys uh, but i know you have tony but have you played flower daniel i have yes right now this is one of those weird ones because uh, you see although paul will be going oh god this is pretentious he actually really liked flower didn't he he did yeah yeah um it's for anyone who hasn't played it, you play as a flower petal and you've got to fly around pollinating other flowers. But the thing that really struck me about it, I, th- I guess, but can we spoil this one now? Or? <laughs> what spoil flower? Uh, yeah. 
I think you're safe to do that. I never really talked about it when I was doing it, but I think it's kind of important to talk about now. Flower tells a story without words about um, evolution. And it, it, it takes it from the countryside to the city, and then it gets more industrial, and then the flowers pretty much get choked up and nature is, is, is beaten down before basically blasting its way back, which gives a sort of hopeful note for the future and man being able to harmonize with his own environment. Now, I got that just by watching the damn thing while playing. They never told me that. Just by uh, a petal flying around yeah. on the screen. And, How and the hell could I interpret that from that story if, I, if the game itself was so constrained by me as a player? The answer is simply that I couldn't, and it couldn't, and it was art. As as far as, in the dictionary definition, it was uh, beautiful, it expressed feelings, and it was made by someone. Yep. <laughs> I, I agree. I think, I think, well, I think the main issue with the, with the Ebert's kind of, his analysis of video games as art is that I don't think he's terribly familiar with the medium. Okay. I know he, he probably has a passing familiarity, and that's all the experience he has with it. Interactivity has never made something not art. Uh, like uh, just one of the guys I learned about in my classes, Robert Rosenberg, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Some people know him as the father of pop art, and he was a guy who did a lot of work with very interactive things. Uh, one of his most famous ones was called Soundings, which was pretty much a room, a series of nine smoked plexiglass panels. An audience could go in, and if, it, if they were quiet, it looked like they were just looking at a large smoked mirror. But as soon as they started moving around and make noise, various portions of the piece like lit up and pretty much depending on the sounds you made you experienced the pieces in a completely different way which is i think how video games kind of are they are yes they are interactive and we navigate through them somewhat freely but they are still guided experiences and that's a game designer's job they are crafting an experience they're sort of to certain extents kind of a rails a rail shooter or yeah. whatnot for us to move through and see and view and experience like flower it's, so we have interactivity and freedom, but is, it is within the bounds that the game designer creates. And that is completely true. I mean, as, as much as we say these sandbox games allow you to do pretty much anything you want, there's very few without a guiding story. At, at, you know, if you look at Grand Theft Auto, the biggest sandbox game of them all, I guess. Mm. No, it has a guiding story. There's still a, an art sense there that it wants to tell you something. And there's you know, it's still a very strict way to do that. Just the fact that you can go off on that, that path and go and mess around doesn't necessarily mean that it, the, the game is completely void of anything artistic in that case. And that even, you know, I, I think the problem with Ebert's view is that obviously he's trying to defend film itself as being art. And he's, he's saying, look, you know, art is basically within the storyline of a film. And, you know, that that is delivered to the the viewer and there's nothing they can do about that. They can't change the storyline. They can't um, just just well, I can. I can just turn it off. But, you know, it, it's always going to be a, a constant. Whoever watch it, watches it where video games by their very nature will always have something slightly different going on just by the way that people play different stuff. But I think that's such a narrow minded view of of our medium rather against his medium. He's, he's got it set what he wants to, you know, what he defines art within his medium, but really I don't think he has any knowledge of what really storylines and games now do. There was a moment when he actually took back what he said because he had to review a Clive Barker game. Now, Clive Barker's not the most renowned game designer <laughs> out there, so I think he... Uh, it, it, just that made Ebert accept that maybe they were a bit closer to film than he thought. So if he actually Fine, it's played right. something... Don't make me play the game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so if he just actually sat down... I mean, ultimately, I think we know about as much about art as he knows about video games. I mean, as in high art. 
We, uh, so it, it, I can understand and, and empathy. It's like asking me, do you think theatre will ever be as interactive as video? Like, oh, theatre? I don't know anything about it. Ugh, it just makes me angry. Um, so I, I can see it from his perspective, just this sort of weird industry that he's never really been a part of. But um, let's just drift away from Ebit here, because ultimately he's only a small portion of the people saying that games cannot be art. Okay, as I said before, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. I think what... It's not certainly not the first game you think of when you're thinking of art, but to me, it's it's it actually manages to capture the age of the 80s and really, you know, it, it's 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 basically like being inside a movie or being inside somebody's head in the 80s, albeit a psychotic criminal in the in the 80s. <laughs> but it paints it so vividly and it, it throws the music up for you and it soaks you in the the the, the atmosphere of it. That it it really is. It's it's more pop art, but it's definitely art from that point of view. Um, many people would say Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, which I have not really had the opportunity to play yet. Shadow of the Colossus has been on my game rental list for months now, and they <laughs> won't send the damn thing to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, undeniably artistically motivated. Braid, that drove Paul crazy. But uh, it's it, it almost has... It, 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 it's almost entirely conveyed in poetry and screwing around with your head. Yeah, and it has film-like qualities as well, because ultimately, you know, there is only one way to solve the puzzles. There's only one way to guide yourself through the storyline. And the end is going to be the same for everybody, no matter what they do, because, you know, it it basically stops if when you stop. No one can play that any different, because the puzzles all work out the same. And it certainly delivers a direct storyline. And yet there is a very specific emotional message at the core of it, which the artist is trying to convey. And although he does get incredibly pretentious and disappears into his own black hole by the end, uh, the the message is still there to be interpreted. But, I mean, Braid, I mean, if, if we're talking about art is that it, in, you know, it has a reaction in the person that is interacting with it, uh, whether it's passively if you watching films or interactively play, playing games, that end of that game, I mean, I, I've sat there for, what, Many hours with you and Paul arguing, you know, the how I actually really like the twist ending and but and but how you two absolutely hated the twist ending. I didn't uh, hate the twist ending. I just hated the bollocks afterwards, where it sort of it was like, right, good twist now. Uh, and there's just a bit more, and it just that kind of snatched it away and jiggled it up too much for me. But it certainly, you know, it, it forced an emotion, and that's one of the reasons I said it was one of the games of that year because it really did have an emotional impact on anybody who actually played it and got through to the end of that game. Did you play Braid, Daniel? I have. I haven't finished it, though. I am determined to get through it without cheating, which is slowing me Never down. Never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, no, you say that. Uh, there was this, I managed to get through without cheating, and there was just this one point when I said, okay, Sharon, check the guide. Am I doing the right thing? She said, yes, I am, so I carried on doing it, and I got through it, because basically I was thinking, I've done everything here, and it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, glad we didn't spoil that for you, but that, carry on with it, Dan. It's, it's excellent. Okay, and Little Big Planet, which I mentioned a few weeks ago, is basically a giant art project. I'm going to stand by that. It is a gigantic art installation that's been put there by Media Molecule for everybody who buys the game to basically dip into and add their own and, and experience every, everyone else's um, creation. It's absolutely, unarguably art. It's, it's, everything's created. Now, obviously, every single creator is entirely different. They might have entirely different creations and uh, entirely different um, motives for doing it. And a hell of a lot of them just want hearts or just want the trophy that it gets you to chuck the thing out there. Or they're just making a piece of crappy broken level and saying, look, you get a trophy, you do this one, or you get loads of stickers. But some of them are absolutely fantastic. And some of them have been made very carefully and with, uh, uh, and an idea to actually creating a little story and a little narrative. And they're, they're only tiny little things, but as a whole, 
it's a gigantic collage of different people's creations. And I don't think if, if you actually sat down with Roger Ebert, he honestly wouldn't be able to say, uh, no, that's, that's not art there. That is just a, a game. Because it's not just a game. It, the, the whole point is about creation. And that makes it art. So, yeah. Have you played a little Big Planet, Dan? I have, yes. I love that. I actually have another nomination for video game art. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of on the storytelling front more. Now, in. And. Am I allowed to spoil some of Metal Gear Solid 3 a little bit toward the end? Oh, brilliant. Oh, come okay. on, 3's old, yeah. Yeah, 3's way okay. past. Okay, so. guys, if you haven't played Metal Gear Solid 3, skip to the end of me talking. Ten minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, on story, as far as storytelling goes, Kojima could use an editor, in, and uh, he could <laughs> be, he could be better with some dialogue and storytelling, but he gets a pass from me because... <laughs> He has done some things with video games using their interactivity to tell stories that very few, maybe no other video games have done. And this, when he does things like that, they really show the uh, just the potential this medium has that I hope gets taken advantage of more in the future. Toward the end of Metal Gear Solid 3, after a big showdown with a final boss, I won't say who, but it is someone who is very close to and very important to the main character, Solid Snake, or uh, Big Boss, but whatever <laughs> yeah that yeah. gets confusing his naked snake at the time that right okay just say snake 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 toward the end it's after the big showdown you defeat the final boss you have some kind of touching final dialogue between them the boss is lying on the ground on on his or her back <laughs> and he is and snake is standing uh, standing over his defeated foe and friend with a gun and it Go, and it goes to a shot kind of slightly above, kind of, kind of above looking over them in this flower field, a snake holding the gun to his opponent's head, and then the camera doesn't move, and it just kind of stays there, and you're just watching the cutscene wondering what will happen, and, just, and then over after a few seconds it kind of dawns on you, oh, holy shit, they're going to make me pull the trigger on this person. And you... And there's no avoiding it. You can't avo- you can't not do it, just like Snake can't not do it. You actually have to, and they make you pull the gun-firing trigger button to do it to actually finish this character off and it's actually really moving and kind of heartbreaking to do and makes the ending of the game that much more poignant and if more video games could pull that kind of shit (laughs) then i think that is the real potential that video games have as an interactive medium this yeah we can tell stories like movies can we can tell them like books can and plays in theater but that is what makes video games unique that is what i really want to see video games do in the future right there brilliant I totally completely agree. You're, I hadn't even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. So what is it? Are we looking for... I mean, it's like all art stuff. Not everything's great, but games in general, are we looking for stories to, you know, to, to produce art in a game, not just the interactive, just you know, general gameplay of driving a car? I think, I, mean, I think that's a good place to look. I mean, that's what... I mean, I mean according to Ebert, I, I think that's what kind of makes film art, just the storytelling abilities. But, but I mean, it is, it is a just a medium it i don't i wouldn't want to kind of try to box it in or limit it saying that storytelling is the way just the way to go because i mean a flower doesn't really tell much of a story but it still gets a point across it still stirs emotions it's still an experience am, am i getting into pretentious yet no 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 <laughs> I, I completely agree it's 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 storytelling is is kind of separate from from being straight out artistic because ultimately uh, there's there's artistic expression and then there's narrative 
and the two things don't necessarily have to be entwined. Um, it's, you, you can have a game with a really fantastic story that doesn't in, isn't in any way artistically progressive. Like, um, I don't know, I was going to say Bioshock, but that's actually really, yeah, it does really story, quite yeah. evocative, and it has a great story, and, and and it really does conjure up a world. Same as uh, Grand Theft Auto. I'm just trying to think of what's a really uh, okay. Right, Fahrenheit appears to have a really good story, but it's on a how. Sharon said that, that is actually more like art as well. Maybe it is then. Maybe that if if a story is well told enough then it does take on a much more artistic bent. <sighs> that's because something's actually putting you in rather than just being there. You know, it, it's, that's the same as a piece of art or a, a really good film. You know, it, I mean, it's easier to, you, to actually discuss this stuff as art if it's something that is really capturing you, whether it's just a singular image, whether it's you know, a really, really good story. And I, I think, in a way, this is where you know, computer games as an interactive medium actually has a really, really good place to actually push what we could class as artistic merit forward because a lot of this stuff is passive you know they can't do anything about it but games can actually produce an emotion and you know like the the story of Metal Gear Solid 3 there you're the one that actually doing this stuff you're the one pulling the trigger rather than just being that passive person watching it go on so in many respects you can have a bigger impact and it can be a bigger artistic impact by actually having that experience rather than just sitting back away from it yeah you're actually identifying with the character a hell of a lot more rather than just thinking well why is he doing that oh that's a fine point yeah but that, I mean, this is the problem with art. I mean, ultimately, it does it does disappear into pretentious stuff. Just talking about it. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing you can do to get away from that because I I think even within the art industry, um, it's you know the industry surely should be the easiest one to discuss this stuff. There's such divides about how you know how to not make it pretentious and how to make it accessible to kids. Because I remember on those those wonderful coach trips up to London when we were young, you'd, and it was just a pretentious mess. You know, them showing you this this stuff around. <laughs> Uh, it was very difficult when I was a kid to actually get into art because you don't have the range of emotions it takes to actually key in with them and I, st- I still think I haven't matured in that particular direction <laughs> to it so um, Daniel did you ever like art when you were a kid? Uh, not I mean not what would be considered high art certainly and I mean and I still don't but and really I guess that sometimes makes me wonder if we really want video games to become art in that way because high That's art has point. not been, been meant to be enjoyed for decades now and kind of the core purpose of a video game is to be fun for the most part and really i'd i'd like for video games to stay fun so i'm fine if they kind of stay in the pixar commercial art realm that's fine with me shit you might be right do we really want to be part of that club that would not have us as a member (laughs) the reason we keep asking this question so much are video games art and we keep trying to i think we're waiting for a bit on and on Achieve, you're just patting some on the back and well done you've done this it's it's an achievement you've gotten this yeah. far as an industry I th- yeah I think we do, we pretty much just want the respect and the legitimacy is I think what we really want yeah I think we want to be able to tell someone how a video game moved us without them rolling their eyes and not and not talking to you anymore <sighs> we want to be able to we want to be able to discuss it with other people we want them to realize that this is not just a these aren't just toys they actually have potential to be moving and we're not just nerds, and stop looking at us that way, and uh, just, where are you all going, and all that. Shit, Dan, you have taken your damn sniper rifle to the point here. You are spot on. It's all about our own insecurities. We want, <laughs> when we tell our parents, oh, I'm studying video games, for them to go, oh, excellent, I read about that in the paper, as opposed to Pac-Man, huh? Ugh. Yeah, Dad, sorry. Mm. 
Yeah, so. Oh, okay, well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Um, so. Well, we all should have just been hugged as a child, is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, no, we should just have been told whatever you want to do. If you want to, if you just want to do cartoons, that is awesome. We love you for it. Uh, we, we, ne- we never wanted to see the look in their eyes when we say, Dad, I want to write about Sonic the Hedgehog for the rest of my life. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so, right. Will video games ever be considered art? Possibly some of them, but do we really need them to be? Thank you, Dad. Exactly. (laughs) You're in the black, in the black, in the black. Ain't it lovely, baby? Not coming back. You're in the black, ain't you? Free. No more threats, no more debts. You're in the black, baby. You left it all behind, but you're still fine. Yeah, you're fine still. We wish we could see. Time to write us now and then You're free now and you're lonely We love you but please do not ask us to pretend Come home if you want a friend What have you been playing? Daniel, you can go first as you're the guest Okay I have recently picked up and started playing a copy of Yakuza for the PlayStation 2. Uh-huh. Did you guys ever try that? No, I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. Is that the one with the subtitles or not? Uh, not. And that's actually one of the things kind of... That's one of the strikes against the game, in my opinion, in this case. Because a lot of the game, they got pretty well right. It's a, it's a decent brawler. It's pretty fun. You get the feeling that you're kind of getting a... Just visually, you're getting kind of an authentic sort of... Uh, just Yakuza gangster movie experience sort of thing. And it all feels very Jap- and it all feels very kind of authentic Japan. But then there is just the English dub. And so you feel like you're watching an English dub of a Japan movie and not a very good one. And and they're kind of trying to maintain the uh kind of the gangster sort of speaks. So, I don't know, it's just it's weird watching a Japanese set, Japanese characters, and then hearing a voice, I was like, it's, hey, what the fuck you want? Come on, get over here. Can I, it's sort of, <laughs> it's a, I'll kick your ass, sort of, it's just sort of a, it's kind of jarring. And I hear that they listened, and I, I hear a lot of fans are, of the game complained about it, and that in the sequels they fixed that, which is what I'm kind of looking forward to seeing. I kind of got a hold of this one so I can which, see it and then try the next. Which one has an all-star cast? I, thought, I, I don't know if it's one or two that has, you know, some really decent voice acting I always hear. It's. I don't think it's one. I mean, the one's not. It's not terrible. I mean, they've got Stephen Bloom. They've got. They've Is got it, a few. Um, Michael Madsen in there. Uh, no, I don't. Maybe. Are you sure? I, I he has a anymore. voice like this. You'll I don't know. know if that's one or two. A lot. A lot of the characters do, but I. I need to look it up. That it just plays off as kind of a bad dub, which kind of. It's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's decent enough overall, but yeah. I look forward. Maybe the sequels will be better. I haven't played them yet. If if three ever comes to any PlayStation three, you can play. Right. Yes. So, well, actually, if guys? it's uh, if it's multi-region, as long as you don't mind reading it in Japanese, you'll be all right. <laughs> Unless they have something. <laughs> so easy. All right. Yeah. Um, I will just briefly go through what I've been doing. Uh, played Wanted all the way through. It is a boring, slow. <laughs> 
dull, repetitive, overdone game that we've seen and done a thousand times before with a few interesting little mechanics that you end up doing over and over and over again, and I'm just so sick of passing from room to room, shooting guys, and then going to another room, uh, with the occasional breakup of a turret section. I hate turret sections. Stop doing them. <laughs> Have we put tur- turrets into room 101 yet, Tony? <laughs> we <laughs> should. Fucking turret. <laughs> Can't stand them. Um, and I beat it at the end, and I, I don't know. I just wanted to finish the damn thing. Um, I think uh, what I'd really like to see is a movie game that's not just like this. You know? Just one that's not a 3D adventure where you kill guys. Just, just maybe, I don't know. And not a kart racer if it's something we <laughs> would be good. But I don't know, something, just a different, have you ever played a movie related role playing game that didn't come out ages afterwards and was actually quite disappointed? No, they cost money to make. It's far easier just to do a third person shooter. Oh, I'm so sick of them. Anyway, uh, also <laughs> played Call of Duty 4 and we had that, uh, Gamehounds play date. Which, should we talk about it now? Yeah, why not? Okay, right. Um, we turned up on the night. And it was like uh, one in the morning for us, and Tony had actually been playing for a lot longer because <laughs> like four hours before, yeah. <laughs> Why did you do that? Did you just want to like show your face and, and make sure um, you get some good work in first? But. Mainly because uh, as uh, we, sh- we should tell the story, the fact that we got bazillions of invites to actually play Call of Duty. I think um, I got something like seven hundred and fifty odd invites <laughs> in the course of a few days. Um, and on the actual night, if you can imagine two hours of literally, the, you know, when you have the pop-up of messages, someone's online or they've invited you to a game. If you imagine two hours of that message never going away. Every 1.5 seconds. Blip, blip, blip. To the point where you couldn't actually enter your guide because obviously it's content sensitive would take you to whatever they were trying to say. Yeah. And every time you backed out, you couldn't, you literally couldn't. And the fact that the dashboard even managed to survive amazed me. But, so um, we had to switch over and actually cunningly put it on notifications off so we wouldn't be told whenever we got these messages, <laughs> but they kept arriving anyway. Unfortunately, that meant that because we were all doing that, there was like seven or so game hounds. There was us, there was Edie, there was Commander Tim, there was um, uh, was it Maynard was there, Maynard, Sports Hound was there, um, one guy, Rye, the iPhone guy. Is there anyone else that we're forgetting? I'm sure there's one other guy. Uh, Corks couldn't make it because his kid. Explosive. Which one's that? Uh, Explosive is a sports hound. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his, it, kid went to hospital after receiving an allergic reaction to eating birthday cake. So uh, we were, I was quite worried about him the whole night because I was thinking, mm-hmm. oh, we haven't even heard from him. But uh, it turns out he was okay. But so. you know, it it was a fun though. We got a few games. It, it actually turned out to be more like the hump date game hounds because Ed just couldn't join any of yeah. us. Because Edie was getting more than any of us <laughs> was getting all these messages. Um, but the thing is, yeah, we took off the notifications, and then we couldn't talk to each other. Because, like, if I sent Tony a message, he wouldn't know he'd got it from me. He'd have to check his mail and then sift through 30 but, or 40 messages to see, uh, oh, Alex sent me one 25 minutes ago. Yeah, on top of that, even if you sent out a uh, game invite or a chat it invite to somebody... turn up! It got stuck in the backlog of everyone else sending invites, so it could be, like, 40 away from even being sent from your inbox, because yeah. it had so many. Yeah. But... You know, it was fine. We we spread it. We spread it. We spread the word of um, game hounds and oh, yeah. uh, talked a little bit about digital cowboys as well with people. And uh, it was fun. I just you know now I feel sorry for people like Major Nelson or anybody with their uh, the gamer tags plasters out there because when you you ever see them actually uh, do like Major Nelson's minute or whatever he does on the the inside Xbox stuff, um, he's normally got like sixty messages sitting there in his inbox. You're like, oh. What was the general inc- impression you got from playing with all these guys? <laughs> So, I mean, don't get me wrong, some were fine, um, but 
like any of these things, it was a a situation where most people had no idea what was going on. They didn't know what game hounds were, what a podcast was. I had uh, to explain it as it's like a magical radio show you get on the internet. <laughs> Edie liked um, that. She actually put that on her update thing. <laughs> so it, it was a little confusing for a lot of people. And a lot of people just either thought that we were developers of the game and we're doing a community date. I got asked whether I could give uh, Halo Recon about three or four times, which I'm like, uh, n- no. Um, and, <laughs> but it, it was fun. It was it was lovely to be in the spotlight um, and have that amount of attention put on you. But I, it, it also, I, I can see now why these uh, famous people have two game attacks. Yeah, Edie had two game attacks. There was one point when I was, uh, we were basically, what would have, if it had been in real life, uh, been basically in a room full of 20 shouting men and boys. <laughs> and like, hey, come over here. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, we're Mexicans running across the border. Shut up, you stupid racist. And I just it was going, Edie, maybe you better switch to your other game tag. She was like, no. She was like, no, no. She, she said, yes, I might do that. And then she disappeared, and we couldn't get into a room together because she was totally swamped. So, um, yeah. I, I, my main thing with this, and, and I'm sure Microsoft aren't listening, but I think what they needed to do, they needed to to give us a document that said you will be swamped with thousands of invites. You need to get online an hour and a half Make before. Make a plan. Set up a party, get a room, and then just let people come in and out of that room because I'll, we, we had no chance of, of setting up anything. I think what would be really helpful, actually, is if Microsoft made it so that the only messages you could get were from friends so that you could just filter out everyone bothering you. I mean, they, they should, just for the press or just for people whose names are out there who know that they're not going to be accepting any invites for the time being, just click, toggle that thing on, so that you can communicate with each other and you, without being completely ratted by other people, just to like constantly auto reject everything. They, they do that on, I mean, they do that with your your email account. So why the hell can't they do it with with your Xbox account? Just for a Actually, bit, right? So I'm just wondering, Dan, do you get a lot of com? You know, obviously you get a ton of comments on your YouTube videos. Do you actually sit there and read those as well? I read them all. Yep. And how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel like this this weird kind of famous person without being famous? Uh, sort of. I mean, there really aren't a ton of comments just per video, unless it just one of the videos really explodes. The uh, sex and video games one kind of got all over the place, and uh, so I was reading comments just all over all different sites, uh, Kotaku, Joystick, just everywhere. It was really we- that was weird. But uh, just kind of the regular video updates, though. It's I enjoy reading all the comments. Most all of them are positive. I mean, th- yeah, there's the odd complaints about the voice or. Uh, some other, or like someone who disagrees with a point I made, but on the whole, they're pretty cool. And actually, I think the coolest responses I get are the people who email me who say they really don't play games, but like someone kind of pointed it out to them, and this made them actually think, like, really consider games in a different way and really actually th- think about them a bit, which those are the responses I love the most. We mostly yeah. just got people uh, saying, yeah, take someone off your friends list, that'd be. <laughs> only in the comments and in the uh, Xbox list. Yeah, you know, our actual fans we tend to have, you know, on, you know, really nice guys. We like we yeah. we're pretty close to our community. We, we we've made quite a few good friends with that. Um, okay, Tony, tell me about Drake's Fortune for God's sake, because I've been <laughs> saying play Drake's Fortune for ages now. Well, I think maybe we should, still should keep this game for when you get around to finally playing Super Mario Galaxy. We you bastard! <laughs> um, because that was the deal. But lend me your Wii. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Easy as that. Easy as that. Um, uh, all I want to say about it, I have started playing Drake's Fortune, um, giving the PS3 a bit of love, and uh, so far, so you know, I, I really liked it. But I'm only up to like chapter five, and it's starting to get very, very combat 
orientated to the point last night where I was I was playing away and it's like it's either that I've been working too hard or old age is finally caught up in me I actually fell asleep whilst playing it <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not too I haven't done too many times with a game before I, I literally woke up and and my guy was you know the screen had gone pretty much dark and the guy was you were running against a wall <laughs> <laughs> and I was like mm, time for bed uh, and that didn't go too well because when I came downstairs this morning I realized I actually left the PS3 on and turned the TV off so my mind was but uh, anyway, so yeah, more more to come on that, and I may actually convince us to do a, a whole segment about what I felt about Drake and what you felt about Mario. You may convince us. Okay, you. I, I am fine with doing that, but I've got to play Mario first. Okay, the Wii will be uh, winging its way to you very soon. Actually, no, I can't. I'm actually playing some Wii games this week. Oh, so. for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, okay, right, just... Yeah, tell okay. us about Drake when you finished it. I'll tell us about Mario when I've finished it. Otherwise, you'll be trying to remember because it's going to take me a while. Right. Okay. Um, the other one I played is, you know, people are saying I never give any love to the Wii, you know, that we're, we're Wii biased. We're not. But this is the reason why we're Wii biased, it would appear, is that I play something called Sports Party. Why? Yeah. Why would you play this? Because, no, I was, I was at a party. What a surprise. That title so, is its own review, dude. I don't know why you played it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was around at a party and everyone was having fun. And I It's not as good as Wii Sports Family Party. Uh, Wii Sports came out and played that for a while, but everyone's played that to death now, so no one really cared. We played Mario Kart and that was amazing so competitive uh, a group of people and people that don't even pl- really play video games and that brought out the worst everyone um, and that was fun but we did play something called Sports Party and this is the reason I get so oh with the Wii is that we were playing such games as horseshoe throwing um, <laughs> which I still don't entirely understand the rules of horseshoe throwing and that was after a, literally a half an hour game in this where we managed to score about two points um, we don't know how you just meant to get it near the stick and uh it was like everyone was doing the same motion and the game was just deciding where this horseshoe would land near this this peg or 55 miles away from this peg. It didn't really seem to matter what you do. Well, this uh, all changed with Wii Motion Plus. Uh, and there was also basketball in this game where uh, the idea was to score 12 baskets and amount, uh, out of four of us, we managed to score two baskets in 45 minutes. So to say that the controls felt slightly broken was somewhat of an understatement. So, yeah, it's just like oh, it was it was so bad. It was so bad. But it's not a flagship game for the Wii. It's just a No, but this tat. is what the third-party tat is. It is just completely tat. All the stuff we've enjoyed at, the, at this party was Nintendo products. Yeah. So, um, At least with the PS2 slog of third-party stuff, you did get some gems in there. The Wii seems to have just been... We really are missing them. You know, whenever you guys do try to do a Wii episode, I'd be totally happy to come on because I don't actually hate it. I, I just hate it. I, I'm I'm bummed out by because I do see some potential there. The motion controls can be used to great effect, and I've seen it done in a few games. I'm just kind of disappointed that we aren't seeing that. I so. think after E3, when they come out with what they've got coming up, we might be able to look at the Wii with a slightly different perspective, or. It might just renew my vigorous hatred of it. So uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll leave it on this for the, for the time being. When the Wii works and the controller works, it's the most amazing experience for ever because you, you get people that just wouldn't you know, traditionally play video games and to, to have that is is more important than anything. Um, but the, the problem is 90% of the time that stuff just doesn't work and you're just, you're just left with a broken, controlled game that was quickly made, you know, cheaply produced and stuck up on the shelf and unsuspecting people will buy it because they know no better and it's you end up with something like that where the, you know this this person never played it before they just had it in their collection and thought i'll bring it along <laughs> well so. well we don't need to do that we episode now because you just defined it in one nice little soundbite thank you Tony. there you go um, <laughs> i, I want to give a shout i just i just rebrought fifa 09 for our, our british listeners 
Um, and I've actually got, I've set up a Digital Cowboys League on there. So far I have Mig Meister, which has joined, and hopefully Jazzy Jeff is also going to be in there, because I know they regularly play the game. Um, so there's three of us in this league so far, but I'm looking for a, a few more. So if you're a fan of Digital Cowboys, you've got FIFA, jump on the league, we're in a little league of uh, just, just Digital Cowboys fans. Not so a little league, it's not American baseball <laughs> for children. Just. So um, yeah, either send us an email, or you know, hit us up on Twitter or something like that, you know, or send a message to my game and say, it goes well, far easy. Um, but the majority of stuff I've been doing this week is basically playing the Fallout DLC. Tell us how After the Broken Steel uh, release. Um, and I did something... Okay, basically, I've been waiting to play this, this Fallout DLC. And this, this is due to the fact that they made the mistake saying this you know, Broken Steel number three will be raising the level cap. And I was like, well, I kind of... I, I you know, knowing that they would add achievements to actually hit this level cap, which is now level 30. I thought, well, fine, I'll, I'll just wait in three months and, and pick up Broken Steel and play through Operation Anchorage in the pit Uh after I pick that up and actually can go for the level cap. And that's exactly what I did. So I downloaded Broken Steel for 800 points and straight away downloaded Operation Anchorage, um, which was the first piece of DLC. Uh, obviously a bit late coming to the party, but I'll, I'll talk about it. Basically, the idea of this one is that you, you, you actually jump into a computer simulation and you simulate the, uh, the Operation Anchorage, which is basically you fighting against the Chinese. The really good thing about this this thing is that because it's computer simulation it actually takes you away from uh fallout freeze area and puts you into this um snowy wasteland you're up on the top of this hillside and you're fighting away through this big snowy area and it's really interesting to see how fallout performs outside of the, the you know the the wasteland that you've you know ultimately by this point i think i trekked over 60 hours over so to just have a different setting so all the, the mechanics are still the same but just have white snow was amazing to me. As so, opposed to just sort of greeny, horrible, grey, brown rocks. Right, all the time. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, just grey of uh, you know, the interior stuff. But to have white, I was, I was just blown away by the, the visual splendour of it. <laughs> it's just, just something different. Um, you were in Narnia at long last. Um, ultimately, the, the, the content, I'm not too sure hindsight now I've played it, that it was worth the, the 800 points because out of the, the free it's really short it's about two hours long this is operation um, anchorage right yeah operation now it, it is it is short um so apart don't you get some it, excellent swag at the end nice you, little do, armor. you get a really nice piece of armor that has very very high um, hit rate percentage on it um well, what are you also, complaining about then that's worth 800 points on its own <laughs> quite and, and this is how they get you because you're like well in operation anchorage you get a nice piece of armor in the pit you get a a really cool melee weapon called the, i think the vulture it's basically it's like a uh, it's their equivalent of almost like a chainsaw gun but it's not it's like a um, an angle grinder that you basically slices people up but uh and also in operation average you get what they call the gorse rifle which is is a really powerful rifle but on hindsight apart from having the the equipment i don't necessarily think it's worth the 800 points because it is you know literally you play it and it's over um the pit is set in pittsburgh not that i've known i don't live in uh, in america so if you say it is of course i assume it is um and the idea of this one basically is it's an industrial town, a bit like Pittsburgh is now, and they're trying to rebuild after this this broken stuff. And you get there by basically catching this this train line um, that takes you away from the the Fallout Free world, and basically a bit almost a bit like this computer simulation takes you away from that and just sets you in this you know, very confined area. It's a bit longer; it's about four hours to complete, 
And the, the, the highlight of this has got a really interesting storyline. There's a, a really big moral choice uh, at the end of it. Basically, you're trying to save these slavers. Um, and the moral choice is, I, I can't spoil it you, but the moral choice is actually quite compelling of, are you doing the right thing? And even when you think you're doing the right thing, I'm sitting there going, this this don't feel right. But it, it seems to be uh, wanting to give me uh, uh, a good karma for doing it. But boy, I, I feel like a bastard now. Um, that's, I think... That is worth the ten pound. It, it feels far more substantial, and there's a hell of a lot of combat in that. Um, and also, there's just an achievement for collecting all hundred ingots, which takes a, a fair portion of time if you're after that stuff as well. Um, so that's probably worth this, you know, the eight hundred points. But if you get, get to broken steel, this is really worth the eight hundred points. And this is the one that you know really we've been waiting for. Um, and it changes the ending once again. Feel like Fallout 3 is still current enough. I can't, you know, spoil the ending, but the ending was pretty definitive first time round. Um, basically, it just put you back to the title screen once the game was over. You remember that, Alan? Didn't you? Yes, uh, I, I was pissed off with that, and uh, I was also pissed off at the slapdash actual end sequence. Uh, <laughs> let's not go into it, no. but basically, it, it it says you did things, and it just sort of paints it with such broad brush strokes that you're like, this isn't very personal at all. Didn't they promise hundreds of different endings or something? Yeah, but that's a lie. Tiny, you know, d- different photographs or something. Two endings with slight variations. Yeah. Um, it's one ending with slight variation. Obviously, the way a lot of people were getting around this was basically just save before the ending and, and continue your quest line. But it, it, it felt like you somehow you were still not, re- you weren't, well, it kept telling you, you need to do this, you need to do this. And it was like, well, I don't want to do that because you're not going to let me play further. So they, they've got rid of the, the ending is still there as such, but let's just say you, you wake up in the wastelands, um, two weeks later. And um, you start uh, the whole idea of this is that basically the enclave are still fully fully going, and you need to take out the rest of their you know their forces. Um, and it's it's it feels so much more substantial because you're 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 actually playing in the Fallout Free world. Um, you know, you're not being transported off into a computer program. You're not being transported down this railway system, which clearly isn't in the same place. You can traverse. You know, you can traverse for like 45 minutes and actually get to your destination or, you know, obviously walk there. But it, it just, it, it feels like, okay, I'm, I'm actually having an effect on this world. I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, I've been playing in forever. Is it possible they should have released this one first? Yeah, I, I think the problem is you have this level 30 cap that they've now introduced. Um, and I think that's where, I, if you, I think if you're just playing Broken Steel, you're probably going to hit about level 24 just through that content. Uh, which gives you then obviously another six levels that you you've, you're, you're going to have to earn experience to, to get through. Um, me, by me playing Operation Anchorage and the Pit as well as Broken Steel, I actually hit level 29. Um, but I was playing on hard, so I could actually get the most expert. I could play on very hard, but I'm not a sadist. So I was playing hard just to get all the... Uh, I think you're a bit of a sadist. No, uh, you mean masochist. Masochist, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it just feels so much more substantial. The, the storyline itself, I mean, it it's not quite as impactful as the, the proper storyline, but it, it, it does kind of have a big climax at the end of it. Uh, and once that's done, you, you're still allowed to then continue off and, and explore the world, which I had to do because I got to level 29 in XP and then had to basically grind out the, the final, that's probably about 20,000 XP. Um, 
and it all of a sudden it felt like I was playing World of Warcraft because it was like, okay, right, I, I need to, I need, I need to find bad people to kill so I can get more XP. <laughs> just kill a bunch of boars. Yeah, so I was literally just wandering, and it's the first time I've really done it. I was literally wandering the wastelands, thinking, right, where will I get shot at? Um, <laughs> and then by this point, you, you you've got some absolutely incredible weapons. There is a weapon that you get in Broken Steel that is basically just a lightning gun. And I think it's, what's it, te- the Tesla cannon. Tesla cannon. Tesla cannon. And it, it just obliterates. And when I, I was playing on hard, and normally most, most things go down in two shots. Um, so yeah, for that, it's fantastic. There are these areas that you just would, would always stay away from them because there are massive, you know, masses of enemies, you know, in a big bases. You just wander in there like a couple of shots later. Yep, yep, yep. And also the, the thing that I don't really like is they've added the level cap. And they've obviously given you a whole load of perks as well now, because you know each time you went up you know, a level, you got a, you know, the choice of a perk, or you know every two levels you got a choice of a perk. Um, and the perks really are for the people that haven't actually done a lot of the achievements in the first game. So that there's a perk for collecting. Basically, you can just make bobbleheads, or you just collect all the bobbleheads. So that that would just give you the achievement. Just just like buy your way to the achievement once you get to level 24. Um, there's a, a perk to allow you to make. Uh, was it Nukem Cola Quantum? Yeah. The ones that the ones that you needed for the achievement. There's basically a perk just to let you make those now, so you don't actually have to put in the work and actually track down a hundred of these bottles. So that sounds good to me. I hated the very. <laughs> I, I I found three while I was looking for them. I was like, great. That's yeah, but yeah, for me, for someone that actually put all the time into find this stuff, it's just a bit like, oh, here's a gimme. And yeah, I felt like it was a wasted opportunity to, for other stuff. I mean, I love the perk I got now. Basically, if you kill someone in, um in vats it basically just fills your fats bar all the way back up again mm. and there's there's fun perks like if you get down to 20 percent health you let off an atomic bomb from your body and kill everyone around you <laughs> um, <laughs> it has <laughs> it has good humor but overall i i, I tell you what you know a lot of people complain a lot of this stuff has been short but what people should have done was just waited these three months and downloaded all these free stuff together i've been playing this game all week <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of people don't have forty pounds extra or like sixty, seventy dollars to spend on this stuff. No, but it's just like you know, it's I've I've literally put another fifteen hours, I think, into uh, Fallout Three, playing all three of these pieces of content, and then exploring the lands a bit more. I'm going to conclude from that then that they should have put Broken Steel at the beginning and then the other two afterwards, because ultimately it feels like yeah, you know, now the average person playing Broken Steel is now going to get left several you know levels away from thirty, thinking, yeah. well, what do I do now? I've done everything that, yeah. else. And there's plenty of people that have done every quest, so the, the, the idea of somehow, um, you know, getting, there'll be thousands and thousands. I mean, it's exactly, it's like, wow, it's like, where do I go now? But it's Just like being given Wrath of the, of, of, the, of the Lich King and then being told, all right, there's nothing left for you to do. Oh, you still got to get to level 80, though. Hmm. Enjoy the grind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but overall, I, I, I honestly do rate it. I, I think um, the storyline is, is, is well handled. It's continued on quite delicately. Um, the leveling up is is really fun again because you hit level twenty like halfway through that game pretty quick, um, and it it's made me want to go back and do the other quests that I've I've been missing as well. So, um, really enjoy. It. I can on, honestly recommend it. I think Broken Steel out of all of them is worth your money uh, just to continue the story and just to grind out the last few stuff. I think the Pit has a really interesting storyline. I think Operation Anchorage. If you have a spare eight hundred points, why not just to see a snowy version of Fallout? But it, it is the shortest and one out of the three. Um, I'm going to go against that and say if you have a spare 800 points, outrun. <laughs> yeah, outrun. <laughs> Seriously. So, um, 
yeah, enjoy. I, I have really, really enjoyed it. So uh, I say if you're a Fallout fan and you've completed all pretty much everything the game has to offer, it's it makes sense to buy this stuff. And now they're talking about uh, a, a fourth piece of content and whatnot coming out, and I'm sure it'll be like um, Oblivion where they just yeah, keep releasing just keep stuff. Yeah, a little bit. That, that's, it's nice that they keep doing that because um, Oblivion's a perfect example, along with Burnout Paradise, of, of uh, developers really covering your ass in terms of replayability and just keeping you going. DLC that. done right. Yeah, absolutely. Is, if, yeah. if only Mass Effect had been like that, because just, you know, one, was it just one Bring Down the Sky? Yeah, well, there was meant to be more, but obviously that, it changed publisher. Yeah. Uh, it was a bit of a mess how that ended up. But the the one I've actually not downloaded now, and I'm not too sure I am, is the Fallout 2, um, See the Future content. Cause I was uh, Fable 2. Fable, like, Fable 2 content. It It's, it's, a lot of the people saying it's really short, like, an hour and a half short and a lot of the stuff are just cosmetics to, to the um, the actual game world and I think what I really don't like about the whole Fable DLC thing and in fact a lot of their Fable 2 end game content is that just like in Fable 1 they make all of the choices that you make redundant because you can just reverse them essentially you can buy things to reverse all of your choices and you can get money so easily in that game you can cheat the damn system yeah. Buy yeah. everything so that you can basically go. Well, I don't want to be ugly anymore. Let's buy myself pretty again. But surely DLC at that point, if you're paying, you're paying for the ability to do whatever you want. And I'm not too sure I disagree. Messing, I mean, if you if you played the game, if it's been long enough, then they would have got their point across. You know, it's almost like then talking about um, you know cheats. It's it's just a way to kind of. Muck around. around. I understand that. I understand mucking around, but I think it should really be with a different character. I think once you make a choice in Fable 2, they should be a bit more serious about it because they're just, they're just going, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? I tell you one thing that kind of pissed me off was the Operation Anchorage uh, DLC that you download. Once you've completed it once, you can't do it again under that same character. And I I know that's no different from any other quest line where if you completed it, that's it. But it just felt like, yeah, but I, I've paid money for this. <laughs> if I, I want to do it again under my Saren character, I should be allowed to. You should have kept your save. No, I, 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 obviously I've got different saves and I can do it again, but it's just the way that it was like... Well, no, so you can do it again. Stop crying. Well, you, if, I, if I cheat the system. But, you know, the pit, you can return back to any any when you want. Obviously, broken still. Can you uh, kill the same amount of people if you go back to the pit and do the same uh, thing? Uh, no, technically not, I guess. Mm. But at least you can look at the environment and go, hey, you look cool. Well, I think... You don't really have a leg to stand on there because ultimately it is a pervasive game. And what, what would be the point of going back and doing it if you're supposed to be maintaining this character? I think just you're keen on breaking the, the illusion at this stage. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Maybe you should be able to go back and hang around in the snow, but there sh- it should be that you've done it now. Or you could be able to fuck with the past again. My other complaint uh, is that if you've played this game as, say, an com- entirely stealth person yep. or... Um, you know, somebody that was always, you know, charming people with a, you know, with dialogue options. Yep. This DLC is entirely focused on combat. Mm. I mean, it, it, the fact that you're going up levels with broken steel helps because by the end of it, I think pretty much all your stats, you can get up to 90, you know, 90 points out of 100. Yeah. Um, so it, a lot of that's taken away if you've got broken steel and playing through it. But a hell of a lot of the stuff is just like Operation Anchorage first time round. I think if you hadn't, if you were just playing, you know, a completely different character from one that has combat focus you need to get your ass kicked and the way they get around that is just give you infinite ammo and infinite um health centers everywhere you just go around and press a button yeah just to help you out but the pit has nothing like that so no good stuff anyway beware if you're particularly good at talking but not much else <laughs> right um 
Last thing I wanted to talk about before we go on to random game of the week is Star Trek. Yeah. Dan, have you seen this? It was fantastic. Okay, right. I want to hear from Dan because I, we've been talking for so long, and I want to make sure that this is a landmark episode that you were on, Dan. You were, you were still here. <laughs> Tell I, us. I go into listener mode now that I've listened to you guys podcast regularly. I kind of hear you guys talking, and I just kind of sit back and listen. <laughs> Your eyes glaze over. You start. Yeah, to <laughs> and I remember I've got a microphone here. Oh yeah. Interactive TV, Jack. Where are the future? <laughs> what do you think of Star Trek? I. Loved it. I mean, I'm not a person who followed Star Trek very closely. I watched, I, I know there are at least a dozen episodes I saw when I was younger. I liked a lot. I saw one or two Next Generation. I haven't seen any Star Trek since. But, and so I, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are a lot of Trekkies who are not happy with the movie or at least various aspects of it. But it was such a fun movie. I don't care. <laughs> they, actors were fantastic. The, it's without even really copying, copying the characters or the copying the performances of the original actors they still nailed just about everything that is important to that character the uh that's fun special effects fun just just a fun movie i'm not nearly as good at reviewing movies as you guys are so. <laughs> no, that, that was pretty good <laughs> T- tony i know that you're going to differ slightly here so I, i'm not always stuck was on, on my twitter was that i thought it was a lot of setup and a very little payoff <laughs> okay, Which, right. Um, so, why do you hate Star Trek? I don't hate Star Trek. Why are you hating on the Trek, man? <laughs> it would appear I'm the only person. Captain Kirk risked his life for you, and you <laughs> repay him with this. Honestly, I'm the only person on the planet that says it isn't the most amazing film ever. I yeah, think that's, that's there are a lot. There are legions of Trekkers and Trekkies. <laughs> I don't know which um, who are disappointed with it because it doesn't stay true yeah. to. There was, someone wrote into Kerr mode and said that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is, this is insulting all the intelligence of its original listeners. What did you think of the film? Get to the meat of it. No, I, I actually really did enjoy it. Um, my complaints are that... I know, <laughs> I know, Alex, that you watched all the Star Trek films that you you should do you know, with... Um, I watched one, two, three, four, five, seven, exactly. and then six. <laughs> well, there we go. So that probably gave you a lot of context. But I, I, bear in mind that I wasn't a fan of of Kirk anyway I was always um, you know the latest stuff because you know that was my era I was watching Star Trek you oh, know, Picard, Captain right? Picard and uh, Jane Janeway Jane, Janeway yeah um, so I was that era but you know mainly I just felt I just they, they had to obviously do a lot of explaining they had to set up all these characters and I, I kind of get that but how long how long is the film uh, two hours six minutes so it's a, you know a fairly lengthy film and I just felt like for 70% of the film there was a hell of a lot of setup, and then for you know thirty percent of the film at the back end, there was the payoff, and, I, and just felt like at times that was you know most people knew what was going on, or who these characters were, and you know they were almost just like preaching to the converted that were going to go and see this film. Um, but I, I do, I must admit, I do really like the way that they they've taken it back uh, to you know to the or- the origins i guess and just has basically made a clean slate but when it was going into like the weird time traveling stuff and it Oops, started spoiler to- warning yeah but you know it started to disappear time off travel in it- star trek is like saying i drove here it's yeah, like true. yeah there's some time, time travel involved it, but it started pis- disappearing up star wars territory that i just i just found a bit like when is there time travel in star wars no but you no. know that this it started to go and my only really big complaint and bear in mind i did really enjoy it i'd, I'd like a lot of the stuff they've done but the, it just it felt like come see the sequel because that is going to be awesome 
that's the kind of feeling I got from the entire film. It's like, this is a huge big setup because when, you know, if you like this stuff, wait until you've seen the, the next script. It's going to blow you away. And I was just like, okay, but it's just something here that I'm not, it's, it's like a four star. It's not a five star. That's all I'm saying. Back away. I, I can see what you mean by it being kind of an introductory. It just, it kind of sets a lot up. I mean, I guess the part of that's kind of the fun, I felt like, for me, just seeing it's like, okay, well, they're going to be bringing these characters, reestablishing them, and kind of just showing how they've, re- I guess, just showing how they've recreated them. So, and I kind of just enjoyed seeing that all those kind of old classic beloved characters, they all get a decent amount of screen time. They all get to do some, have some sort of impact and importance. They all seem to be somewhat faithful portrayals. Yeah. I'll admit there maybe were a few, there are a few plot holes in the movie here or there. I mean, I'm, I mean, I haven't watched very carefully for them. I'm, I don't know why Nero didn't, or the main villain in all the time he had. Okay, this is spoilers. I should stop. He was mm-hmm. monologuing. Didn't go and decide to go and, uh, in all the, like, how many, 25, 25 years he had, he didn't decide to go and, uh. Didn't he actually, I think he, that, that time didn't pass at all. He actually just went forward reading another black hole somehow. No, no, no. He, he stayed in the current time 25 years, but right, yeah. not to spoil it. He didn't get dude, any older. No, the other dude. Uh, only took a second to do those 25 years, so. Oh, right. Okay. So, I mean, you think he could go and warn the, his people? I'm trying not to. But, but, I mean, put it this way. We're, we're talking about Star Trek. It's something that was pretty yeah. much dead. I mean, all of the ultimate nerd is, nerds out there. The fact that general people are liking this is something that should be praised. Yeah. And yeah. my little silly comments about, oh, it was maybe a bit too much, you know, plot, blah, whatever. It, you know, the fact that people are liking Star Trek again is something that we, you know, most people thought probably wouldn't happen in this generation of us lot. To quote my Twitter post, disappointed by Star Trek, Tony, you're overanalyzing it with your cold, methodical mind. Damn it, man. That's why you're my Spock. Seriously. Yeah, I, 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 I hate being called Spock. You are. You, you are annoyed so me much. so much in that. He's so fucking cool. Right. Okay. Can I go? Can I please go? Because I've been. Of course you can. I've been letting you guys. Go. Right. Okay. Yeah. This film's fucking awesome. There you go. From the beginning to the end, I was just rocking back and forth in my seat. Now, okay. Here's my background. I never liked Star Trek. Didn't like it. It was a bunch of ponces wandering into a room and going, Captain, blah, 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 it's attacking on the port bow. Right, well, let us into negotiations. Oh, who cares? Get out some fucking guns and pop these guys. Um, now, that's because I was brought up in Star, Star Wars, and that's because I'm a thug. So, ultimately, you know, it's, it's my upbringing. Blame that. But um, I have started to really get a fondness for the characters as I've been watching all the Star Trek movies. And I, all, I, I, I had indeed, same as you, uh, Dan, seen about 12 episodes when I was a kid. So I knew just enough, just enough about every single one of the characters to get pretty much every joke that they threw at me. So I was like, aha, green woman, aha, that thing, aha, that thing. And, and there was one point when me, Sharon, and about four grown-ups all went, aha, because we got something that was so old and such an old reference that uh, you'd have to really have been there to get it. Um, okay, but aside from that, if you took this as just a movie on its own from the get-go, um, it really, really works. I think kids seeing this would really enjoy it. And it's, it's got some great – It's it, the sound. The science is totally unsound, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, and it's, it's fun, but it really, really has a heart. And it's got that thing where J.J. Abrams really doesn't waste time. He just goes, right, here's what you need to know. There's none of that sort of coming into a room and going, well, this must happen. We must have a meeting with the delegation. It's just like, right, no, into the thing. And it's, 
people complain about the fact that it's action packed, but it's also really pacey. It's, it's the, the action is not necessarily a bad thing, and it's not like they're just like getting into fist fights every five seconds. It just propels the plot forward all the time. There aren't many quiet moments. But every single performance in there is pitch perfect, so they're just they're taking nuances from the original characters and making them their own, and so you really, really kind of care about these guys because they've got just enough from the people that you know of, and if you've never met them before, they've got just enough idiosyncrasies for you to be able to tell one character apart from the other, and that's all you really need for people in different coloured jerseys flying around in space. And there was that bit, and Kermud mentioned it, and because I, I noticed it the second that it happened in the trailer, and I went, yeah, that works. When... Kirk sits down in a chair for the first time, oh, yeah, splays his legs out, and then pops his arm back and he goes, yep, I am the captain. And you go, yes, that is fucking right. And he, Spock tells him, get out of it. Out of my chair. And <laughs> he... <laughs> uh, Chris Pine is fucking awesome as Kirk. Zachary Quinter, fucking awesome as Spock. It's a really, really good uh, double team for the, for the uh, main duo. And then and, uh, ev- even Carl Urban's really good. And he acted for the, once. And most, he spent most of his life since The Lord of the Rings strutting around going, I am Carl Urban. I was in Lord of the Rings, don't you know? And he actually. My highlight for me was Scotty. Yeah. He was really <laughs> entertaining. He was ridiculous. I mean, Scotty is a ridiculous character anyway. He's an American doing a Scottish accent badly and going, the engines are crap, sir. What can I tell you? Um, no, it's a British man doing but, a no, no, no. And everyone loves Simon Pegg. Everyone sort of like did a little mini cheer when he turned up. Oh, that, yeah, to me, there's no niggles about this. The only thing that is a pain in the ass for me is that I'm going to have to wait two years for the next bit. So it may have been set up, but unlike something like X-Men, which is just boring setup, this was exciting setup. So, fuck it. I loved every minute of it. Five stars. Now, although Slumdog is a far better made film on a technical term, it's probably my favourite film of the year, this. We get back into the discussion of, you know, art now. Because, yep. you know, Slumdog could be classed as art. Where... Slumdog is art, and this is pop culture. <laughs> right, let's do Random Game of the Week. Read them out and get out of here. Okay. Random game of the week. Vib Ribbon. Now, this won't this mean... This is any- where I go into just listener mode and just listen to you guys talk. <laughs> okay, right. Never owned Vib Ribbon. Not surprised. Never owned Vib Ribbon. Never even heard of it. Okay, right. Picture this. The tail end of the PlayStation 1's existence. Uh, it's developed by Nana on Shah, released in Japan and Europe only in 1999 and 2000. Uh, so this would have been like after Gran Turismo and Resident Evil 2 and around about the time of Resident Evil 3, just before the... Dreamcast came out, so like, I mean, just tail end of the PS1 here. Um, so it's a very early music with an action game. Uh, it had a, bl- imagine a black background, white line vector graphics, very much the old, like the old Star Wars arcade game. And just imagine this sort of long line going along, and then you've got this little rabbit made of triangles walking along the line, and he goes, and the rabbit is named Vibri, and, okay, right, there's these obstacles in your path that take that turn up in relation to the music that's playing. So like it goes bump, boof, 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 and there'll be like a little bump in the road at every boof, and you have to press the right button to correspond with that to jump over it. And the the better you do and the more you progress, then just like Guitar Hero, you actually get better and you actually turn into this weird frog fairy princess thing. <laughs> yeah. But if you keep hitting the obstacles, you devolve into a frog and then a snake and then you die. Um... 
It's got six tunes in it from a Tokyo pop band known as Laugh and Peace. Uh, but the masterful thing about it was that you could put your own CDs into the PS1. You start, you start the program and it waits, and then you open the CD tray, put in, say, I don't know, and we did this, didn't we, Tony? The Prodigy, and go, wow, I wonder how that is. And smack my bitch up, as it turns out, is really quite difficult to bounce over <laughs> obstacles to. And it gets quite complicated because it's not just pressing one button, and they sort of, they combine obstacles to different shapes, so you have to go, right, that's an up with an X. Uh, it's, it's really difficult to describe. I'd urge everyone to go to YouTube to check it out. And you've got to remember the, the time period here. You were opening up your CD. You yeah. Know, you were opening up your PlayStation 1 and putting the CD to play your own music in. That was amazing then. Yeah. That was, it was not like, oh, we'll just take that off the hard drive, play this game. It was really, putting your own music in into a game, which was really... It was interactivity on a new level. And it was... It, this was only released as a sort of a budget game and an oddity. I think um, you can pick it up for like £15 on eBay now. And I've I recently only sold it, so... Yeah. Really? Oh, you had it? Yeah. Bastard! I brought it when it actually first came out. Yeah. Well, it, it's not impossible to get hold of again. Unfortunately, all Americans will be screwed because you'd have to get some sort of weird PAL-playing PlayStation to try it out. However, all is not lost because the creator, Masaya Matsuda, may do another Vib Ribbon, possibly as a download on PS3. I'm predicting they'll bring out Vib Ribbon for like a few quid and a few dollars in America, like five bucks, and people yeah, I mean, play it, and, and maybe key it in with your own music, perhaps. Yeah, you, I mean, it should just be something like that, and you just, you know, instead of taking it from your CD drive, just take it straight from the hard drive any music you ripped yeah. on there. Yeah. Be just, it would be awesome. It, it's so simple, but really, really addictive. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like a casual game that can actually uh, drag people in. I remember my uh, my sister-in-law not really wanting to play games, but she actually got addicted to this and actually bought a PlayStation on the back of my playing it back here. So It's not entirely <laughs> out of the realms of something like Amplitude or um, Res, is it? I mean, it's it's much more simplified looking, but you just it's it's carefully listening to the music and beating in time. So yeah, okay. Um, so that's Vib Ribbon. Check it out on YouTube, and pray that they make another one because it's awesome. <laughs> okay, read them out. This one's from Michael. I'm not sure if you guys will read this, but I thought I'd give it a shot. I just watched all of Daniel Floyd's videos and found the link to you guys and decided to give your podcast thing a shot. So this being the first podcast I've heard, I must say it's very good. And I'm going to go back and probably listen to all of them in my spare time. He's talking about episode 101, which you were on before, Daniel. Anyways, question. You brought up choices in Mass Effect, but no one ever touched on the possible outcome in the final fight with Saren. Why the hell not? Possibly, Michael, because we didn't want to spoil anything, but... um. Right, I think the main reason is that I only took one choice, and I, I don't actually know what the outcome of the other choice would have been. Um, Tony? I think we should give this to Daniel, because you know this, this, this is a man that's clearly a fan of Daniel's work. Yeah. And to have, have the email answered by Daniel himself is surely just this perfect That's a fine symmetry. point. So um, you've played Mass Effect, you've finished it, Daniel. Um, tell well, Michael what's what. Oh, Michael, I'm sorry, it's been a few years since I played it, and now I don't. <laughs> remember this choice that you're talking about and I feel terrible. It's Do you save the council or not? Again. I don't even remember that. Mm. I, I get the feeling that I did whatever the like the kind good, of the, the power good of answer was because yeah. I was kind of going through on a good mode. But I remember we did mention that, and I called you a lapdog of the council or something along those lines. And probably, <laughs> whereas me and Tony both let the council die, um, and I don't know, I don't know how your outcome was, and I don't think you know how our outcome was. I, I did remember. see both. But I can I say that I'm going to be pl- sorry. I can say that I'm going to be playing this game again soon. If um, if you want to send me an email or a message through YouTube to remind me, I will tell you my thoughts on it later on when I have gotten to play through the game again. I lost more than that. I think the possible outcome. Let's just uh, just look at it very briefly. Um, 
You're absolutely right, Michael. It was one of the best game endings simply because of the fact that you could, I mean, whatever you did was technically the right thing for whatever reasons your decision was. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really a wrong answer. It's like Daniel does this, um, lecture about choice in video games and, um, a choice at the end of the game is much more interesting than a choice in the middle of the game, which might not have any real definite outcomes as in like, you know, uh, the problem, uh, that you stated was like, if you can choose between, two kinds of weapons and one of them is clearly better than the other but a choice is if you have to choose between two things that will you know not necessarily benefit you massively either way right yeah but let me face it whatever happens on mass effect 2 probably isn't going to hinge on which choice you actually decided i think there'll be subtle things but it won't be like the galaxy would be entirely different depending (laughs) on what you did but um yeah basically you could choose to let the council die or you can choose to let them uh, live. And I'm assuming uh, because I let them die, but the rest of the aliens um, felt, the that, yeah, yeah. The Citadel felt that the, hum- the human leader of this particular group had shown great strength in the face of adversity. They're inspired by humanity. Whereas if you let the council live, they'd probably go, well, we I, I think fact- the Citadel actually then blows up. Oh, right. Shit. Yeah, I, if I remember right. Oh. You decided on the council that you actually lose the population of Sistel, but you're going to rebuild from the council as a race. Is that what happened, Daniel? Yeah, I think so. Dad. I don't remember. <laughs> no, I'm still here. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, oh, come on. How many people have got that as like, yeah, I played the game, I love the game, and boy, I can't remember what the hell happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel terrible. Okay. I'm sure that's what happens. The Citadel the city actually dies. Um, but you, you've actually still got the, the council to build up from that. Right. But the, the choice that I think we decided was that we were going to build up with the people who were there and the council had actually driven us into this place really by having uh, no foresight of what's actually what was going on. So I hated like, the council. I'm a total yeah. renegade. I, I, I just want to like, fight the power. Fuck them. I had so much Paragon points at that point anyway. I could have blinking uh, killed both sides and still been uh, the saviour <laughs> of the day. So. Okay, next and final letter. This is from Chris O'Regan. Now, he starts off with, I'll make this short. And then sends the essay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when Chris makes things short. Okay, right. Um, I'll make this short on the feedback front, but I feel compelled to say something after listening to the Dreamcast special. First thing uh, is to play to your strengths. That being that is being European, as a podcast that is. Therefore, the 9999 is meaningless to us. The PAL Dreamcast replete with the blue swirl didn't arrive in the old world until 14th of October 99, so our date would be 141099, which doesn't have so much of a ring to it. We did have a crazy nutbag advert campaign, though, with Malcolm McLaren saying the Dreamcast would have up to 6 billion players. That is mm-hmm. until the ASA stepped in and called Sega out on that. What, basically saying, are you in anticipating that everyone in the world will buy one of these things. Also, Soul Calibur was not a launch title for us, as with Sega Europe. They held it back uh, into December. The miserable bastards. We had to put up with Virtue of Fighter 3 TB at launch instead. Well, I say put up with. It wasn't a bad title, just that it didn't have a German bloke in it with a dirty great sword. You also failed to mention Sega Rally Championship 2. For shame, sir! A great arcade rally racer that still holds up to this day. Sigh. I love that Chris listens to a podcast and goes, ah! Here is what they missed out. And he goes to his notepad. Uh, it's brilliant, though. He, he, he must take us to task every time because it's, uh, it, it's important to, to, to note all these things down for the major fans. For me, the Dreamcast holds a special memory for me as it was the first console I bought at launch. It was initially more powerful than my PC at the time, so it sat on 
top of the proverbial gaming mountain with regards to power for a short period. That is until I upgraded my PC for the nth time. As exciting as it was, I didn't compare at all with my experience with picking up a launch PS2. That was something else as Sony only released 80,000 of them in the UK for reasons best known to themselves, and I managed to get one. The real driver behind me with getting one was when I saw the PS2 at E3 in 2000 when they were first revealing them, and I even managed to play some of the launch titles at the event. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> and if you want to hear that story, listen to Super, Super Happy Fun Time Show, an excellent podcast. And he is right, and there was a couple of things that I... I I was going to butt in and, and tell Tim, you know what, that wasn't quite the case in the UK, but for two reasons. You can't argue with Tim, Christa. <laughs> we had Commander Tim on the show, and you know, that man is a legend, in my opinion. Um, and also, I was about to, to die. Uh, the fact that I actually got through the podcast, it was, a, it was a miracle in itself. But he is right, you know, it, it was a different time. And Tim was actually kind of wrong. The Dreamcast was a massive failure in Japan. It was one of the reasons it actually died. It wasn't a massive success. Wait for Tim's so, rebuttal next week. Um, really, the- <laughs> <laughs> really the place once again it was doing well was in America uh, but you know Europe was unfortunately Sony's bitch at that point so um, but uh, you know most of, most of the episode you have to bear in mind that any of these retrospective you know stuff a lot of this stuff is it's, it's like here Daniel can't remember the end of Mass Effect the game he really loved and almost kind of wrote a lecture <laughs> upon now you know <laughs> Trying to remember the entire history of the Dreamcast, for it, even in its short period, was is is something that you kind of you kind of work just from mind, and it's it's fun to do. But ultimately, yeah, you, you know what? We do need to be taken for task when we just forget to actually mention stuff. Yeah. So write into us if you have anything to say. We are digitalcowboys at googlemail.com, and we would love to hear from you. We read out as many uh, emails as we can get that are actually legible. Right. <laughs> okay. That about does it for this week. Daniel, would you like to pimp a website or your YouTube videos? Uh, no, I don't have another vi- video out yet. I'm working on one, but I've got a few other priorities that have kind of slowed me down a little bit, so it's, it's causing a little bit of delay. Though if you want for ending music, I've actually got another remix <laughs> for o- OC Remix that I'm actually uh, in the middle of working on. You Go for it. I was actually going to work in progress in there. Brilliant. Okay, send it to us. That's great. All right. Uh, what, what again, is, what's it on? Is it a remix of an ancient piece of music? It's a remix of actually Pokemon music, which, uh, yeah, which I'm being helped on from a friend of mine. <laughs> I must yeah, catch them all. I must catch them all. Yeah, it's that again. It's pretty a liberal arrangement, so you probably wouldn't even be able to pick out the original music in there unless you really knew it. But uh, we are. I've sent it off. T- it's a little bare bones because it's meant to have. Uh, vocals in it. It's meant to have somebody rapping to it, and I have a guy oh, who's it, working guy on going, I want to be the very best. <laughs> like, no, no, I don't. Th- I don't think it's going to have anything to do with Pokemon content at all. If if the little test lo- vocals he sent to me are any indication, which which <laughs> might be for the best. Yeah. yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, I'll give. I'll send that a link to you. Wicked. Okay. Oh. Uh, check out Daniel Floyd on YouTube if you just type in Daniel Floyd and just check out all of his lectures. If you haven't done it already, I urge every single one of our listeners to. It is enlightening stuff. It's lovely to have you on again, Daniel. It, it's to the point where it's it's like, hey, we'll just get Daniel on and Tim on as these little third guest people and just talk about stuff. Yeah. Because they're fun. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to. I, I have a good time here. Thank you Excellent. very much, mate. Right. Digital Cowboys Gamer Night number four takes place tomorrow, Sunday the 17th of May 2009 at 8 p.m. British Summertime, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard. So we're doing the much more relaxed version this time. So all you have to do is turn up and join a party with us. It'll be invite only, because we're not falling for that one again. So send us a message and we'll invite you if, if there's room. 
it's just going to be a relaxed session and we'll play whatever games we want to play and hang out. If we, if we all get into a game of Call of Duty or Halo or whatever, that's fine. But I, I'm not going to constrain people because what we found in the past few weeks is that it takes half an hour just to get people into a room and then there's some people who can't play with other people, uh, just because of connections and things like that. And it's, we end up having to defer the party leader to someone like, I mean, Jambo was sending us some of these weird uh, Halo missions and I was like, God's sake, all I just want to do is have some fun. Um, and you know, Bless Jambo, he's awesome, and he has that all. Was Midge, Midge, no, not Midge. Um, Bias. Yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, now this time we're just going to chill out, and no one will have to buy or acquire any different games. Just you know, we're just going to chat because it's about hanging out with friends, which is what DC is all about. So, on that bombshell, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. I'm Daniel Floyd. And we will catch you guys next week. This music is a Pokemon remix from Daniel Floyd. <laughs> Happy trails. Sound like much yet. Let's add some kick and snare and see what we get, alright? Here we go.